Hello, everyone. Welcome to Man Overboard Fitty. Ain't nothing but a number, yo. With your host, Language Barrel. Sponsored by The Wolf's Pact. America's by invitation only men's support, friendship, and networking group. Where the one become many, and the many become one. Here, they put the man back in human. Again, welcome to today's show where the topic for today's show is going to be the three questions that men fear to ask. The podcast for this show is going to be under a different format as the content was taken from my vlog under the same title, the three questions that were that men are afraid to ask. I just felt that this, this topic is core to the podcast and what we hope to accomplish that I decided to repeat the same information on my podcast. Also, this information that's discussed on this particular podcast, it aligns with the core values of the Wolf's Pact, where we discuss uh, the definitions of modern day manhood and the implications of that manhood in modern society. Uh, we also believe that some changes can and should be made uh, for men to evolve, uh, especially as it relates to the women's revolution. So everyone, prepare for a bumpy ride, stick, and stay. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Man Overboard Fitty. Ain't nothing but a number, yo. With your host, Language Barrel. Sponsored by The Wolf's Pack. America's by invitation only. Male friendship support, and networking group, where the one become many, and the many become one. Here, they put the man back in human. Okay, as you can see, everyone, I got my official scruffy beard look. I got my uh, one and only power thinking cap brain stimulator hat on, because these topics are going to require some extreme mental manipulation and mental gyration and I just got to make sure my hat is in place so that I can respond correctly and appropriately and uh, the fact that I had to think about these questions so hard and so long actually I forgot to shave okay so let's get started with today's show and we're going to dig into the three questions that men fear the most and okay uh, if there are any ladies watching I got to warn you that the first question is not, uh, will you marry me? Nor is it, does this thing get any bigger? And lastly, was it good for you? No, these are not the questions that men fear the most. The questions that men fear the most revolve around self-actualization or self-awareness. And for many men, these questions don't strike them until they get somewhere in their late 40s and early 50s, e.g., i.g., known as the midlife crisis okay and so most men don't even recognize that there are these three questions they just kind of know this question about kind of life and meaning but what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the three questions that men really fear to ask themselves and the first question that men fear to ask themselves is kind of what is manhood like what how do you define manhood like how do you define what it means to be a man and for uh, for me and this may actually be different across age spectrums and uh, and eras. Eras, 
epochs, right? Uh, generations. Right? I'm just fishing for some terms here. And so this, this actually could be different across generations. I'm a child, I grew up in the 60s. So I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. And so for me, when I grew up, it was pretty clear what, uh, what a man was, right? You, a man, you were responsible, you went to work every day, you took care of your family, you came home, you, you were home for dinner, right? And so you, ha you had the final say in the house, you were the leader, you were the head of the household, right? And your wife may or may not have been working, of course, it would depend on your socioeconomic status. I come from a very um, economically depressed population, so my father worked and my mother worked, but in some situations based on your family's income stratum, you may not have had a, a, working, a working parent. Also, part of that is that men didn't cry. Like men, you don't cry if you were a man back in those days, right? If you got hurt, you just kind of walked it off. I mean, you got a broken leg or you got your arm chopped off. Uh, you, you know, you didn't cry. You just kind of kind of shook it off, walked it off. Uh, men didn't have emotions. Uh, somehow in the creation, when, when uh, we got made from Adam and Eve, uh, we got uh, various body parts, but somehow our emotions and sensitivity was stripped out of us. Now, for my father's generation, my father was uh, born in the 20s and 20s or 30s. So in his generation, it was even clearer what a man was, right? And so a man was uh, had definitely had the final say. Right? A man went every day off to work and came home, provided for his family. Uh, women didn't have uh, women didn't have very much authority. They didn't have much much power. Uh, as an example, I can remember growing up, uh, this must have been in actually the, the 70s or, or early 80s when we had to move out of our house. We were renting a house, uh, not we, meaning me, and meaning my mother and father, of course, because I was just a child. Uh, we were renting a house, and then our house caught on fire. We had some damage in the house, so we had to leave the house to go rent another house. And so we went to the bank to, I mean, went to the real estate office to talk about renting another piece of property, my mother could not sign as the as the primary leasee on the lease, even though my mother worked two jobs and had the more stable of the income. My father was a construction worker and did some um, some hacking, and I guess the hacking term back in those days meaning you drove an illegal cab. So you used your you were Uber before it was Uber. So in the black community, we had Uber like in long before there was Uber, right? You had men that would hang outside of grocery stores and for a few dollars they would take you in your groceries home, you'd pay them money um, in, in, the, in the hood or in where I lived at. So this was, this was back in the 70s, long, long before there was an Uber. Uh, so again, my, my father's definition was much, much clearer and much more restricted than my definition of manhood. And then now my son, my son is in his 30s and that, that generation, now, their definition is actually going to be much more fluid, right? I think the last statistic that I read, I read a statistic that said that 30, 33% of the women uh, that are in monogamous heterosexual relationships earn more than their partners. So obviously, with that kind of change in the financial uh, stratum or situations, as a man, you can no longer base your manhood solely on the fact that one, you are the primary breadwinner, and two, that you are the... Um, that you are the leading financial, that you are financially, uh, totally financially responsible to provide safety and security for the home. Because, in, and like I said, a third of the cases, the women are actually making more money, right? They're, they're making more bread 
than the husband. And so obviously with situations like that, your definition is going to have to change and be much more fluid. And this also brings us to like childcare. When I was growing up, my father spent very little time with us. Um, it was six of us and spent very little time with us as children, primarily the, the primary child rearing responsibilities was for my mother. That's who, who that fell upon, even though at some times, as I mentioned, she actually worked two jobs and, and actually had the most hours outside of the home working. It was still uh, her responsibility to raise the children. Now, when things came along uh, for my children, I actually spent a, quite a fair amount of time um, involved in child rearing with, with my son and my daughter. Uh, I, had, I had made a concerted effort that I wanted to be much more a part of their life than my father was uh, a part of my life. So as you can see, even across the different generations, the way we define manhood can be different depending on what stratum or what age, uh, what age or generation you came from. And so that's the first question is, how do you define manhood? The second question is, look, wh where did you get this definition from? Who taught you what it means to be a man? Did you read it from books? Did you have uh, the influence of male role models in your home? Was it from your father, your uncles, your brothers? Um, just to kind of provide some back, some backdrop in the African-American community, there are, there are a large percentage, large percentage of homes in the African-American community that do not have a permanent male role model involved in the home. And so the question would be for those men, like kind of where do you get, how do you get your definition uh, of man? Where did you learn that from what it means to be a man? And so if you kind of like me, uh, my father, as I mentioned in a previous blog, was uh, a functioning alcoholic, which meant on weekends he was pretty much um, drunk or inebriated. So he worked during the day, and in the week he was intoxicated. So that, you could see that that could be a problem as far as, as child rearing. So I didn't learn. Uh, I decided not to take that that behavior as role modeling for myself. I I don't really drink. I may have a drink once or twice a month. I certainly don't. Um, indulge in, and become intoxicated and don't really uh, approve or associate it with that behavior of people that actually do that. That uh, I generally don't have friends who um, who get drunk and inebriated or that I hang out with people that get drunk and, and inebriated. It's just not, um, it's not a behavior that I can really relate to or appreciate, so I don't do it. So on my part, I've kind of gone the opposite. I'm kind of like my auntie dad, right? So I modeled, I saw the behavior that he modeled and I actually modeled the opposite, right? And so the question is gonna be for men, where did you, you learn what it means to be a man? And so if you're like me, you picked it up from different pieces. You picked it up from your friends, from the street, from books, uh, from trial and error, how you interact with women, what behaviors the woman appreciated or what feedback she gave you that you might modify or or modulate that behavior based on the feedback you got from her. But I, it wasn't, for me, it definitely wasn't any one man or group of men that made such a major influence on my life that I decided, okay, here's what manhood is. Here's the way I want to model my manhood. I kind of pieced it together. And I think that's a very dysfunctional way to, um, to actually model or piece together your definition of manhood. But that's the way it was for me. That's how I learn what it was to be a man just from pulling all these different pieces from different behaviors that I saw with other men that I either um, appreciated or wanted to emulate.
And so the question, second question to you is going to be, okay, you define manhood. Now, who taught you that or where'd you get it from? Now, the third and most difficult question, and this is the, really the question that leads into the question, right? It, this, this is like the nitty with the gritty, right? This is the down and the dirty. This is the question that really forms kind of who you are and what you will be the rest of your life. And so that third question, depending upon how you answer the first two questions, defining manhood, how I learned this, can be any number of questions that come out of that based on what you think of the first two questions, i.e., e.g., right? So it could be, now that I understood, now I have a definition and, and, and can attribute where I learned this definition, now what does that mean for me now, right? Do I have to maintain this, this uh, definition of manhood? Can I change it? Right? Can I grow from this? The person I was in my 20s or my 30s or 40s and my understanding of manhood, do I have to be locked into this same definition of manhood or can I grow from it? Can I change? Can I take new information and new ideas and form a better me or a better definition of the man that I want to be? Right? That's... That's kind of this third question. So the third question is very amorphous, very fluid, like a Morpheus from the Matrix, right? You, you're kind of moving around in slow motion and fast motion. And so that third question could be, uh, so what does this mean to me? How can I change it? What impact will this have on my life, right? And why, why do I have to maintain this definition, this antiquated definition of manhood? Does it serve my best interest? How does this question... How does this definition of manhood fit with the contemporary definitions of manhood, the contemporary customs and mores, right? The expectation from your partner, whether your partner is man or woman, whether it's gay or straight, right? Because we're all in society and a lot of the roles that we have are changing based on the women's revolution, right? Based on the power that women have, have gotten recently, this affects how we define ourselves. And I'll, like I mentioned previously, take this 33% of women who earn more than men. And that, that was a key driver in the way we define manhood in the past, is how much we made, how much we worked outside of the home. And we could always leverage, we, some men would leverage that to use to say, well, I can't spend this much time in the home because I spend this much time out of the home. And I made the decision that I want to put my career... Uh, my career primary so I can support my family. Well, now there are women that make the same much or more than you, right? And women still have somewhere like 70 to 80% of the responsibility in the home for child rearing. So you have a partner who's making more money than you, doing more of the housework than you, raising more of the children than you. So you can no longer have this definition like, like I'm the man, right? I'm the man and here are my responsibilities. When this person over here has got those same responsibilities plus additional responsibilities. So it's going to necessitate that you have to do some evaluation of what is a man and what is, uh, how does your man have relate to what your, um, your current partnership situation is. And this not only impacts your private relationship, but it may also impact your, your public relationships, your business relationships, right? So... As I mentioned, my father, people deferred to the man in the business, right? Women deferred to the man because he was the leader. And in certain situations, that's not the case. I worked in a community hospital, 
and worked close with the executive leadership team, worked in conjunction with the executive leadership team as a hospital quality consultant. And there was a six person team, right? The CEO, uh, the vice president of nursing, then you have the chief financial officer, quality director, HR. So you have all these um, other roles as part of the executive team at this hospital and two were male. Two were male and the four other ones were female, right? And so you can see how that dynamic shifts, right? Where as if you were part of an older generation, it might have been the expectation as a man that people defer to you. But at this hospital with four members in executive leadership as females, you could not go into that uh, that organization with that mindset that these women were going to defer to you because these women were expertise in their particular field and they were not going to defer to you, especially if you were a subordinate, uh, had a subordinate role. And so what I, so you can see how how in today's society we have to change. And so this is that these are the three questions that I think men uh, either are afraid to ask himself or really don't want to ask himself. Right. Is what is manhood? How did you learn that? And then so what does that mean? Right. How does that modulate or moderate your behavior? Right. Your definition of manhood will impact your behavior. And if that if that definition of manhood is not in sync with the current mores and, and norms and customs in the present society, then you're going to be you're going to be bumping some heads, right? You're going to be bumping some heads with people and get this reputation for being a difficult coworker, um, you know, or providing some type of hostile environment. And so, um, and also I didn't even get into this whole thing about like emotions, which is this whole like, you know, big thing about, about men and emotions about uh, when, my, when I was growing up and even my father was growing up, men didn't have emotions, men didn't cry, right? Um, you could have yourself, your arm severed and you, your eyes poked out, you know, with hot coals or hot sticks. And it was expected that, you know, you wouldn't cry. You would just like, kind of moan a little bit. Like, like you know, that hurts. But um, you certainly didn't express any emotions. And if you lost people, lost significant others in your life, it was expected that you, that you wouldn't cry, that you would just kind of tough it up. Or as we used to say in my day, you know, you walk it off. <laughs> you know, you have your mother die and people tell you, you know, just walk, walk, walk it off, walk that off. But, and so you can see why men don't really deal with these three questions because once you start dealing with the questions, then you have to respond to them. And once you understand and start to evaluate, looking at your life to say, here's what I think, here's how I learned it. And then your third answer has got to be, so what am I going to do about it? Do I need to do anything about it? Is it my best, is it in my best interest to maintain this, this behavior that I have, my customs, um, the way I deal with people and interact? Because your beliefs affect your actions, right? It starts with a belief, then it becomes an action. There's an old saying that says that seeing is believing. But now there's a saying that says believing is seeing, meaning that if you believe something, you see it. And then once you see it, you manifest it. You start to take actions to do it. And so the, your, 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 your beliefs about who you are as a man definitely will impact your interactions with your children, your significant other, your employers, your relatives, people you encounter on the street. 
And so you need to evaluate that as a man. You need to evaluate that and say, uh, you know, based on what I believe and based on the way I was taught, are these actions appropriate? Are, you know, is this behavior appropriate um, in, in current society? A good example of that is, another good example is that when I, when it was, I was younger, um, it was, I don't want to say if it was okay, but it was accepted that men would, uh, like, touch women's bottoms. Like, if you were a waitress, like maybe a man would slap you on the bottom or grab your bottom. Um, it, it wasn't... It wasn't encouraged, but it was certainly, uh, I had certainly seen it multiple times, and it was not out of the norm. And the thinking was that, well, you know, he's just being, a, he's, men are just being men. Well, now, you know, I mean, <laughs> certain people can talk about grabbing women's vaginas, but for the most part, most of us can't walk around grabbing a strange woman's vagina and not expecting to be incarcerated or, or shot. And so um, you can see how, how your behaviors, again, your behaviors and beliefs about how you think and what you think a man are can certainly impact your interactions. And for some men, it can be detrimental. It can be detriment. You can be arrested. You can be, you know, I mean, in this whole thing and this whole me, me too movement um, is brought about by some contemporary uh, not contemporary, but by some antiquated ideals about men's rights and what men could do and what men couldn't do, irrespective of what the woman wanted. If the man wanted to do it, he just did it. But now you're starting to see that there are repercussions from that, right? Because now society has changed. We Society is redefining manhood. And if you're a man and you're afraid to redefine your manhood, you could be in trouble or you could be relegated to a much smaller community. So that's all I got for this episode. As you can see, you know, I, I needed my, my, my brain buster booster uh, hat. And then because the information was so, um, was so mentally draining, you know, it forces the hairs out and I didn't have a time, a time to shave because I knew I needed all my energy, my energies to combat these deep thoughts. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to be signing out. Uh, I'll see you in future blogs. At the close of my podcast, I usually like to leave people with a little poetry or some words of wisdom. And it goes a little something like this. Puedo escarrer para atrapar el mundo o reducir la velocidad y espero su regreso. You can run to chase the world or just slow down and wait for its return.